Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're very excited to have Jennifer Van Camp on the show today. Jennifer is Research Fellow and Director of R&D Data Analytics at AbbVie. Her team specializes in data acquisition, warehousing, and visualization, powering AbbVie's knowledge management and predictive analytics AI capabilities. She received her PhD in organic chemistry from the University of Michigan in 1997 and has worked at GD Searle, Monsanto, Pharmacia, as well as Pfizer. She joined Abbott, then AbbVie, in November 2007 as a chemistry group leader in advanced technology. In 2012, she started the first data science organization to support drug discovery. Over the past seven years, her team has grown to over 50 employees who span the globe and has expanded in scope to incorporate capabilities to meet the data needs of AbbVie's entire R&D organization. Aside from all of those tremendous achievements, she's also considered the first lady of lacrosse in Lake Forest, Illinois. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. I'm really happy to be here. And thanks, Shelly, for the invitation. Yes, I guess maybe I'll just start by telling you a quick rundown of of who AbbVie is. Uh, Maybe some of the listeners aren't familiar with AbbVie. AbbVie is a global research-based biopharmaceutical company. And we have employees in over 100 countries around the world. And those employees are all dedicated to coming up with the next innovative new medicines to treat our patients. And we're involved in many different therapeutic areas, including immunology, oncology, neuroscience, virology, eye health, and women's health, gastroenterology, a number of different areas. Uh, the most recent acquisition of Allergan even brings in medical aesthetics. So that's another exciting addition to the Abby portfolio. So if you haven't heard of Abby, check us out. Uh, a lot of great innovation going on. Thanks, Jennifer. Could you also share with our listeners a little more about your specific role as research fellow and director? Sure, yeah. So I think just to orient those who aren't familiar with R&D, research and development, particularly in a pharmaceutical company, is really the science behind getting an approved medication. So it's really everything from a biology experiment that can be conducted in a test tube all the way through site enrollment data for our clinical trials. So you can really imagine the breadth and diversity of the type of data that we have to deal with on a daily basis. It is um, it isn't simple. Uh, it can be a little hairy, but uh, really making sure that we understand our customers and we can have a very data-driven discussion with them is really what's most important. So my job is to make sure that we understand that data we can capture it. We can help our scientists visualize that data, use that information. We can build models. We can help them really augment how they do their work. And we can either drive efficiencies. Uh, we can reduce errors. We can really make sure that the pipeline is moving as quickly as possible. And you know, any way that we can enable that is, I consider, a success for our team. That's awesome. So uh, I, I know a little bit about your background, but if you could share, how do you go from 
PhD in organic chemistry to AI. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a jump. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think I look back on that often and I'm like, yeah, how did, how did I get here? Right. Um, certainly isn't the straightforward uh, career path, especially coming out of school where you're you're making chemicals for for your all of your training. So let's see. So I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 24 years. I think I've always been very interested in drugs, how how drugs affect the human health and, and how we can better humans just by providing ways to treat disease. So so it's, it's it's something that's a passion of mine is to be in the pharmaceutical industry. And over that 24-year span, 15 of the years, I, like you said, Patrick, you know, there I was as a chemist, you know, white lab coat, big safety goggles. So you can just imagine, you know, you're, you're at the bench, you're making, making chemicals. And uh, probably about 10 years ago, our industry, and I, I assume many other industries, but certainly within pharma, we got very good at generating lots of data. And we were pulling in robots. We were doing lots of automation. We were miniaturizing things. So you think of all this digital exhaust, if you will. And 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 I was very interested in thinking about how do we capture that? How do we make sure that we are leveraging all of this data that we're producing? And and maybe on a selfish note, I, I think I, I was thinking of, you know, how, how did I spend my day? And most of my work was really around making decisions. And in order to do that well, I had to spend a significant amount of time getting the data I needed. And I might have to go into several different applications. I might have to merge some things or rename things, pivot some data. So a lot of the work I was doing was related to finding, aggregating, visualizing very complex data. And I thought, well, if I'm spending that much time doing that, well, I bet others are as well. Uh, so how did I get here? So nine years ago, I actually had an opportunity through Abbott, now AbbVie, to do a sabbatical, which was a really wonderful program that we still offer today. And in that sabbatical, I, I wrote up a business plan to have this group that would be looking out for the scientific data needs for our scientists and uh, wrote up a nice little business plan. And, and that was actually the easy part. It was now, how do you shop <laughs> it to the right person, right? How do you how do you get somebody that believes in that vision? Because I will tell you, 10 years ago, there wasn't such things as a master's in data science or a data analytics degree. I think it was probably in its infancy then, um, certainly not unknown, but it wasn't quite as accepted as it is today and part of the mainstream. So that's kind of how I got here. Um, I, I actually shopped around that business idea, had a year sabbatical to actually try this out, say, all right, well, go ahead and build some things for the scientists and let's see if they, you know, if you build it, will they come? So that was what, uh, nine years ago, I think one, one year later, I was hiring my first employees into the group. And here we are now in 2021 with with a significant growth across the globe, all dedicated to these data science needs. So it speaks to the fact that there really was a gap in, and we were able to recognize that as a company. That is a tremendous story, especially when it's such a highly regulated industry. 
and such a large and successful organization to be able to start a new team with these concepts and, and techniques that, uh, to your point, uh, ubiquitous is not a word I would use to define it even like four years ago, let alone eight right. or nine, right? Yeah. Like even two or three years ago, data science is not something that I think most business decision makers are familiar with. So tell us how, what, what do you think was the most important thing? Because I agree with you that the biggest challenge is the shopping it part and getting people to believe. What are some of the things that you did that that really moved the needle to make that possible? Yeah, I really have found that there's two types of people when it comes to data science initiatives. There's those that get it. They get it in a very abstract way. You don't have to show much. They, they, they're already there. Their mind is already there. But on the flip side, there are a lot of people who want to touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it. You have to actually build something that gets them interested. They want to see what's in it for them. How am I going to use this? And so what was really important and I found out really quickly was I have this idea. I think it's a great idea, right? I had to find the right advocate for this idea. I had to have somebody who believed in not only the idea, but also believed in me. (laughs) And I think that was also important. And then being able to meet the customers or the stakeholders where they were. So again, some groups I could come out to, I didn't have to, I could have all vaporware and they were with me like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. But then there were certainly the groups where I was going to invest significant time building something that was specific to their project, specific to their function, specific to the hurdle that they were currently dealing with, not knowing if I would get any return on that investment. But I know if I didn't have something that was like, here it is, this is for you, you can look at it, you can hit, you know, fingers on keys and actually see the benefit for you. So just knowing where my stakeholders sat in that spectrum was important and having the right management that believed in me, believed in this idea that gave me the the leeway, if you will, to just do what I needed to do to start winning that concept over in our in our stakeholder world. Wow. You're a straight up entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna tell you, like you put a lot of entrepreneurs to shame. Well yeah, and I, I, I sometimes I wonder, boy, it's like if I had known, like, would I have done this again? And I don't know, maybe other entrepreneurs in your on your show have have talked about that. Like, gosh, would I have done that? I don't know. Gosh, oh, if I'd yeah. known it was that much work. Or... <laughs> well, and see, and that is the key. Is like uh, when people ask, it's like the key to like it's being willing to put yourself in a place where you are profoundly unaware of like how hard it's going to be, right? And just say, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in there, and I know I'm gonna get my my head kicked in a little bit. Yeah. But you get your head kicked in a lot of bit. You just yeah. you you. There's a little bit of naivete that's necessary. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? That's why. Right, and I think, but that's why looking back, when you know what you know, like, gosh, would I would I have done it the same? Would I have changed something? Would I have even done it at all? I and I certainly think I would have. I got another question for you. What? <laughs> Would you have traded the 12 years of you at a bench if you knew you could have pulled this stunt off? Oh, gosh. You know, that's an interesting question. The question I usually get is, do you miss the bench? And and I I, I, I don't. I don't. I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I miss it. I, I, being able to sit down, control your universe. 
Yeah, right? you know, there are parts of it where you have that very concrete white powder that you make and you feel like, wow, I made this. I can say, check, look at, I did this. Uh, most of what I deliver nowadays is not so, um, not so physical. In or concrete, right? Yeah. There's no clear done. Yeah, exactly. Um, but would I have traded in my years as a chemist? I bet you, I, you know what? I don't think I could have. I think that everything that I learned along the way feeds into what I've been able to make today. Had I not had that experience, I don't think I would have been as strong at understanding the stakeholders. I don't think I would have been as compassionate a manager. I don't think I would have been as able to think as strategically as I can now, having understood a lot more of the business right. in those the in those years. Yeah, it's almost like being in the trenches and then totally. moving on to something else and saying, I know what you do. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the other part is you've built trust with that time. You know, like yeah. when, when you go and you talk to... Uh, you know, like part of that of like finding that advocate is you have a track record of of success. And and I do think some people, when they want to do these things, they don't understand that being a high performer and having that trust from other people, when you go to find an advocate, they're going to look back and go, well, like you said, they have to believe in me. Well, you got to give them a track record to believe in, to say like, and this is what you hear from all of the, the investment yeah. firms. It's like, yeah. we're we're investing in the leadership team. Not the product. Right. Yes. And and I always called it our street cred back in the, the early days. I didn't know what to call it, but whatever that is, um, it, I thought and I knew that was going to be so important without knowing really what it was other than I just called it street cred. And where it became extremely important was when it was no longer just me. When I couldn't be the voice, when I could not be the face of the group, those who were going to be the new face of the stakeholder engagement had to have that level of street cred in my book in order to meet our stakeholders where they were. I didn't have the luxury of taking somebody who's you know, just out of school, has never worked in a lab and say, okay, here you go. Here's the person who's going to help you with your data analytics needs. I had to find a molecular biologist. I had to find a toxicologist. I had to find a nurse, you know, all these different types of backgrounds and, and be able to say, here's your person. Look, they've achieved this and this and this. They've worked this many years. These are the projects that they've worked on. They know your function. They can help. So I think Continuing that street cred has been foundational for our success. Well, I personally think it's amazing you found all of those unicorns, uh, Jennifer. And I know you talked to us as well about creating a startup culture within your data solutions team and kind of bringing together people with diverse experience. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Oh, sure. I always call it the two C's. <laughs> there's there's the two C's when I'm going to hire or when I'm I'm really thinking about the characteristics that go into people that will be successful in a data science organization. And the two C's are curiosity and collaboration. Uh, curiosity is really important. I think we're in a, well, 
I think any science, it doesn't matter whether it's data science or life science or any kind of science, it moves and it moves fast. So you have to be curious. You have to be the type of person that is just interested, just wants to learn and continually learn. And and, and you aren't the type of person that says, oh, is that really my job? Uh, do I have to do that? You just do it because you're just curious about it or you're just so genuinely interested in seeing how you can help. You're just a naturally curious person. So I think the type of people I will hire have that unteachable characteristic, if you will. They they just they're just wired that way. They're curious. And the other thing is collaborative. I I I like your your uh comment about the unicorns, right? I I I often try to tell people that they aren't unicorns, uh, but what they are is highly collaborative people that have very strong expertise and, and strong strengths in given areas. And if you don't surround yourself with collaborative people, you're going to hold the whole group back, the whole company, your your whole initiative back. And none of us know everything about everything. It's impossible. We We just don't. So your ability to leverage your own strengths and seek out people who have orthogonal strengths and to be vulnerable to say, I don't know this, but you do. And I want you to help me complete this project or understand this hurdle. That is a cornerstone of, I think, what makes us successful is that highly collaborative, almost vulnerable phenotype to the people that we like to hire. I love the idea of the collaboration and the curiosity. I also love the use of orthogonal, and I'm going to try and work that in later today. So okay. I can, right? just, it's a great word. It's okay. the first I'm on a, the podcast. I, there's words I just love, and orthogonals, I'm... It totally. So if we had a bell, I'd ring it. Okay. We got to get a bell, Shelly. <laughs> let's, let's work on some sound effects. <laughs> so, uh, well, the one thing, uh, there's a great book by Patrick Lencioni called uh, uh, The Ideal Team Player. And, and he touches on two of those personality traits, you know, uh, curious, right? Collaborative, right? He calls it humility, right? Like, oh, okay. Knowing that they need help. Yeah. Right? Knowing that you're, you're, you know, if you've ever played in any team sports, everybody understands, you know, uh, teams win, players don't win. Unless you're Michael Jordan, that's a whole different story, right? Then <laughs> the team wins because you're Michael Jordan. So, uh, but uh, there's another component I think it's it's important to recognize, and I think you demonstrated is that competitiveness, right? Where there's there's a hungry, I want to grow, I want to, right? Curiosity is great, and humility is great. But there's got to be drive too. There's got to be something about like I like to compete. I want to get better, right? Curiosity with intention, and I and I'm sure since I know some of the other people on your team, uh, you are not of want of ambitious people who have a sense of purpose around what they do on a daily basis, right? Yeah. So uh, I think that's it's fantastic, and I think the collaborative component, uh, that humility, is the most important part. Right. Like, uh, if you've ever been on a team with a person with a profound lack of humility, right? Uh, yeah. it's not much of a team. You exactly. Know? So, exactly. Is, how do you figure out? Is there any tips, tricks, hints you can tell us how you filter out and find these curious teammates? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I like to ask 
questions and interviews that will show, I, like, here's, I'll just use an example. I was, I was hiring somebody into a data engineering role where they would need to, you know, basically help with building databases and get data together. But I wanted it to be specifically for a chemistry area. And so I happened to know a chemist who was very technologically savvy. And and I was like, boy, you know, I'm thinking of this type of role. I think you might be really good at it. And of course, he's like, well, I don't know. I don't have any database experience per se. I'm like, well, you know, have you ever done anything with data? You know, like, what, what do you, what do you think about it? He's like, well, at home, I have this album collection and I, I actually catalog them all and I, I put it into this, this database and I put a little front end on it and I'm like, perfect. There you go. I'm like, he's like, but I just used Google and I searched how to do it all. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Done. So yeah. You just, like, you just made uh, it clear. Yeah. It's like, so you're scrappy. You, right. you kind of know what you need to get done. You're going to get it done. You're going to use whatever resources are around you. Yes. This was not my specific use case of, you know, chemical data, but you've shown that you're, you know how to define something you want, figure out how to get it done, do it. And to me, that's just some tenacity, some curiosity, and all of that. You mix that together and and you get somebody who's who's going to go a long way. Again, I, I, I really think entrepreneurship is is really a missed path for you of like, <laughs> honestly, like, because part of it is building a team of compliments, right? It and is. it's understanding how to like organize based upon, you know, that, you know, and it really it goes back to that diversity concept of like, how do I get people who have different experiences than me? How do I get people who have seen things from different perspectives than me? Because that is literally how you get the best answer. And then if you add in like people who advocate for best case, right, best solution, and you got a little healthy conflict and friction going on there, that's just magic. Yeah. I think one of the big learning step functions, if you will, because I, I, I think growing a team isn't linear. You don't have this this nice linear Nothing <laughs> natural grows in a straight line. <laughs> right. It doesn't grow in a straight line. And so there's been a few of those like step functions that have happened since I've been <laughs> building this group. And it, it kind of goes to your point of, you know, who do you surround yourself with? Probably the scariest one, the first step function where I had to hire people and bring in capabilities that were not in my wheelhouse. It's like, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? Like, how do you manage how, that? How do you, yeah, right? How do you, how do you identify what a good candidate is? How do you, how do you make sure that they're even doing the right stuff? How do you? It's like I have no expertise. So I had to the first time I had to fold in um, Oracle expertise. So going back, you know eight years or so. It's like, okay, Jen, you're going to have this Oracle team now. And I'm like, isn't that the can like that you see in PowerPoint? That, like what it like Oracle, what is that? Um, Always looks like a can or an oil yeah, barrel. Yeah. Right. It looks like a keg or something. And, and well, like, that would be fun. Yeah. It is Friday. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think, so that was the first time I felt like I was way out over my skis and, and it's like, gosh, how am I going to, I mean, I, I think I might be the wrong person for this. And you kind of get that self-doubt. And then you go back to that advocate that you have and that person who says, no, you're going to be fine. You're going to do this. You're fine. I trust you. And I think that's a big lesson learned. Once you get over that hurdle and you realize you're hiring people that are experts, they know what to do. 
Right. You're there to make sure that they can do what they need to do. Because I, I was really at that pivot point of, well, do I fake it? Do I pretend like I know what Oracle is? Or do I just be completely vulnerable and honest and say, I don't know what you do. I don't do it on a daily basis, but I trust that you do it on a daily basis and you do it really well. So you tell me what you need and I'll make that happen. Um, and I decided that was the better route to go, the latter. Uh, and and it's all worked out. And it, what it has helped to do is lessen all of those step functions that happen afterwards. So when you start to bring in you know, front-end UI developers and software engineers, and I'm thinking, I have never taken a computer science. The closest thing to computer science for me is my son took AP computer science. I'm like, I, I never took it. I don't know anything about computer science. And so you start to lessen that activation energy of, oh gosh, can I do this? To, of course I can do this. I've done this. I know how to do this. I really think you're not a manager until you manage people who don't share your discipline. Right. Because you pivot from what I want you to do to what are the outcomes I need. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where real delegation occurs of like, I got to trust. I got to let go of this vine and like trust that some that somebody's going to be there. Yeah. And I think that until then, you're just... You're you're kind of a senior whatever, right? Like yep. you're you're telling them how to do it. You you there's a great book called Turn the Ship Around, uh, written by a, a navy boat captain or a submarine captain. And he same situation, uh, just dealing with nuclear, you know, you know, nuclear weapons, right? Just almost the same thing as Oracle. Oh. Right. Very I mean, it's similar, right? So you got a nuclear powered <laughs> nuclear weapon. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. But same thing of like he was trained on one boat. And then when he was finally assigned a boat, it was an entirely different boat. And so he was trained, he, he learned everything about the first type of boat, first type of submarine. And his management strategy was going to be to walk around, ask a bunch of questions and quiz people if they know what they're doing. In the second case, he's walking around asking them for them to explain it to him because yeah. he has no idea. Right. Exactly. And, and his point is he found out uh, it's a way more effective model of management as opposed to the trap and and like you know, blame, accuse, right? Like, I need your help. We're, right. we're in this boat. And uh, so- Oh, very nice. Oh, it's, but it's a great book because the guy is just genuine article, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's the guy you want in charge of a, sub, a nuclear attack submarine. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But probably what it brings in is the type of leader when when you're truly authentic, right? And I think having that authenticity is- Something that I learned very quickly in that first step function was I need to be who I am. They need to be who they are. And we're not going to get anywhere if I pretend to be something I'm not. Totally. And I think we talked about that uh, earlier was people put on either their, their leadership voice, their sales voice, and it's just a suit of armor that's slowing you down. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I'm going to put on this persona because everybody does this persona and it's like, no, play to your strengths. Be, yep. be you. Uh, have you seen the show uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV? No, I don't have Apple TV, but maybe I should. If yeah. you've got an Apple phone, I think they like pretty much hand it out to everybody, but oh, like I come up with that. reasons. Yeah, yeah, I just bought my wife a new iPhone. We logged in. They're like, oh, you got a new iPhone. You can have it. Oh. It's like, what's going on? But uh, Ted Lasso is a great show. It's about this American football coach who gets moves to England, and he doesn't know the sport at all. <laughs> And it's kind of, it's a great story, but there's so much, it's a really funny show, but yeah. at the same point in time, 
uh, there's some really great coaching lessons in there, things that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I, 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 I think you'd love it considering yeah. how much I know your family's into sports. Yeah. So. Yeah. It sounds great. I think we would like it maybe for different reasons, but we'd all like it. It's it's hilarious. Anyway, and you'll like it because one of the jokes actually involves duo Decahedron. Ooh. So, yeah. I mean, wow. we're we're talking, I mean, that's not orthogonal anymore. You, yeah, but you don't throw that around. <laughs> you just don't. Loosely. I mean, no. you, you could break your tooth on that thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you don't want that to happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly, well, any, any what do you what do you got? So, uh, we want to know, Jennifer, who are some mentors you've had along the way? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I'm a very strong believer in mentors. I, I, and I, and I don't know if I would have said that 10 years ago, hmm. not that I, I didn't have them, or, but I don't think I really unleashed the power of what a good mentor could do for you. I've had scientist mentors. I've had project manager mentors. I have had technical mentors. I have had men. I have had women. And and I still do. I have some people internal to Abby, people who are external to Abby. Uh, in fact, I was just uh, on a call earlier this week with one of my previous managers from like two companies ago, who I still stay in contact with and, and was a really excellent mentor for me because he didn't have the same background as I did. I, I was a chemist reporting into an MBA and I was like, what is that? Um, <laughs> but I but I learned a lot and I and I still do. And yeah, so I think it's it's so important to have these people that you can trust to talk about issues, to talk about your growth that is not somebody that you directly report to. It gives you that very different set of eyes. Um, sometimes it could be, you know, a hurdle of, gosh, how am I going to get around this? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I may go to somebody that's not even in science and they can, they can put on, on a different lens and say, well, you know, in, in our industry, this sort of thing would come up and this is how it was handled. And you think, oh my gosh, like I would have never thought of that. Similarly, you know, having male mentors and female mentors, I think I have three children. So having a female mentor that understood, you know, how do I, how do I leave work and come back into work and, and after maternity leave? And how do I, you know, try to continue that? What are the things that my supervisor would want to hear? How do I not break the, the continuance of, of, of what I'm delivering? And, you know, just, it could be anything, but just having somebody that you can go to uh, about questions just to make sure that you're continuing to grow yourself if if nothing else it's it's really important and i think also appreciating my network a lot more and nowadays holy cow it's like with linkedin man you know i started out 24 years ago and i i we had a flip phone that was about the best most technologically advanced thing i had so nowadays having that network uh, internal, external, like I said, across different industries, it's it's so much easier. So, but but I think one thing that a lot of people on my team and what I remind them of a lot is that you don't use mentor or network without an action verb. Like I leverage my network, I grow my network, I build my network. There's an action verb 
in there. It takes effort. It isn't passive. It doesn't happen magically. So you have to feed it and you have to water it and you have to revisit it. You have to have some type of action verb that goes into that. And that's the same thing with a mentor. You you can get out of it what you put into it. So just saying, I have a mentor, great, um, you know, but what are you really doing with it? It's a great point. I, I I use the word community. My college had this communal philosophy that I really just love. And I still think in communities, I think that's a really Chicago thing to do anyways, right? Yeah, right. Where it's like yeah. we all have, and there's so many overlapping communities, right? Uh, mm-hmm. People move from different neighborhoods and then you've got different school structures, yeah. different, but and it, the community is like, how are you building your community, right? And and how do you operate as, as a servant to that community? Not so much to always take, right? Because I, I think that's the problem is like, uh, Shelly and I have a good friend named Jim Vassilopoulos. And he always says, if you're going to call somebody only when you need them, don't be surprised when they can't help you. Oh, right. right? Absolutely. So yep. you should be, to your point, watering, nurturing, but giving, right? Like, and it's, it's, it's so amazing over the last... 10, 15 years of just once you let go of like, I don't want to give unless I'm going to get and you start moving into, I'm just going to give. And like, it's amazing how much the world changes and uh, whether it's karma or whatever. Yeah. But I also think to your point of like getting outside of your industry, getting outside of your office, getting outside of your role, right? One might say you're quite a curious person. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) Well well played, Patrick. (laughs) Yeah, and I, my parents would probably second that. I was the one who brought an encyclopedia to bed just because I wanted to read as much as I could and learn. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's wow. the nerdy side, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say nerd, but it seemed yeah. inappropriate. But since you yeah. jumped on that grenade, I'll it's join It's fine. You. It's fine. I I do. I know. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really great stuff, and I, I do think it's it's really important that for people to learn, right? The 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 world is so interesting, and to your point of like connection, I find it very interesting how few people actually take advantage of that availability. You mentioned the flip phone, and I think about like the first jobs that I had. You literally had to look in a newspaper, yep, and then drive over there to drop off your resume, yep, hoping somehow it went from the front door to HR, yeah. I like to say that it usually didn't, and that's why I didn't get the jobs. That must be it. <laughs> that must have been it. It couldn't be me. I mean, who wouldn't want to hire Pat Emmons with a C average out of St. Norbert College? I Woo! mean, just hot stuff right there. Uh, so I appreciate uh, that's really great advice. Uh, and yeah. I think everybody should spend more time nurturing their network and yeah. building, building. Like, I, I hear it all the time like, oh, it's who you know, not what you know. And it's like, how much time have you spent on the who's right. and how much have you spent on the what's? Yep. A little yep. bit more yeah. T-shape might yeah. be a, a good strategy there. Exactly. Yeah. I said you 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 get out of it what you put into it and it isn't for free and it isn't just handed to you. But the nice thing about networks nowadays is it it can be a lot easier than people think. It's It's so much easier than it was back in the day where I might have to go to a conference and that's about the one time a year I would run into that person from that certain company that I met two years ago at the same conference. And, but other than that, maybe some emails and it was a lot harder back in the day. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Well, thanks for the invitation. Oh, great opportunity. It was very exciting. 
We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they are published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.